Okay, well, let's think about today's passage. And we're going to be thinking about faith today. And, of course, this is just a basic issue in Christianity, understanding what faith is, understanding what Christians mean by the word faith and what the Bible means when it uses the word faith. So James here discusses what faith is. He needs to help the people that he's writing to understand it better uh, because he's got some concerns about that. When we think about faith, it's important that we start not actually with ourselves and with the concept of faith, but with God and what God has done for us. We need to start with the gospel. That is the good news that God in his mercy has sent his son into the world to be the saviour of the world. That Jesus is God's way of rescuing us from our sin and from our rebellion and from all the ways in which we reject God and ignore God in our lives. God's way of bringing humanity back to himself. This is the good news of the gospel. God has freely, out of his mercy, done this for us, not because of any inherent goodness, not because of anything that we've done, not because we're just so lovable, but because God in his love has done this for us. And so faith is really responding to that good news. Faith is our way of accepting what God has done and saying yes to what God has done and saying, I want to be, I want to be part of that. I want what you have done for me in Jesus to be real in my life. Faith is responding to God. And so all of those benefits of the gospel, that we are forgiven, that we are given a new status with God of being his children, that, we, that God declares us to be righteous in his sight, we are right with him. All these things come to us because of God's grace, his free gift, and we receive it by faith. Faith is receiving the gift of God. And... Uh, James is concerned that the people that he's writing to don't understand this, don't really understand what faith is about, and he's a bit, so he's worried about them. And we heard about this last week as we read the start of James chapter 2. Because James said, you're, you people are you're doing the wrong thing when you show favouritism to the rich. You're welcoming the rich people and you're treating them really well and you're treating the poor people who come among you badly. And so he rebuked them about that. He said, this, this is impossible. It's impossible for people who've received the grace of God, who know the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, to treat people with favoritism in this way. God has welcomed all of us equally in Christ. How can we treat each other in an unequal way? So when you show favoritism to the rich, that's wrong. But it raises for James this issue, well, if... If the people that he's writing to in the churches are behaving in this way, is their faith real? Raises the question, have they actually really understood what faith is about and do they actually have true faith? Can you see the way that that issue about rich and poor has raised that issue for James? And so he talks to them about what faith really is and there's three main points that he makes here. First of all, that real faith has to be some good. Real faith has to be some good. Listen to what he says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, 
but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. So James here continuing uh, to think about that issue of the rich and the poor in that church, in the churches that he's writing to. And pointing out, look, faith has to be some good. It has to be some, literally some benefit or some gain or some profit. There has to be some benefit from faith. Not benefit to you, but benefit to other people from your faith. So it's impossible that someone should say to you, look, I'm really struggling, I haven't got enough to eat, I haven't got enough to wear, and you say to them, well, look, I really hope that works, you know, I hope things are better this week for you, uh, you know, so have a good week, see you later. That's, that's not possible, that's, that's not a faith that is real in action. Um, there has to be some good. And just notice the way that James repeats the question, what good is it? What good is it? There has to be some practical outcome. So a real church with real faith will care for the people among the, the congregation who are in need. If anyone is in need, then real faith will provide for that person. Real faith will come out in actions. It can't just be a gesture. It can't just be like clicking like on you know, what they're saying to you but has to lead to real action. So real faith is useful. It leads to action in the world for the benefit of others. So, look, we believe that Christian faith is good for a person. To be a Christian is good for me. To be a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, is going to be good for you. But that's just the beginning. It has to be good for the world. It has to be good for others. It has to be some use. The second thing that James says is that real faith isn't just belief. Real faith isn't just belief. When we, when we talk about faith, we're not just saying that, certain, that we believe that certain things are true. Certainly, faith in, does begin with that, but that is not all that faith is. Look at what James says here in verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds... Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So James is very against any, way, any idea of separating out faith from deeds. We can distinguish those, those two things, but we must never separate them. And he goes on, verse 19, You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So he just points out you can believe in God, uh, but actually doesn't that in itself does you no good. Uh, and he points out kind of rather rudely that even demons believe God exists. Uh, he's pretty sarcastic about it. Good, good. I'm glad you believe in God. That's great. But unfortunately, um, the demonic powers also believe that God exists. In fact, they know quite a lot about God. It's not just knowledge about God or believing that certain things are true about God. It has to lead to action as we've seen and as Jenny was explaining up the front with the kids and this was very helpful faith is not just believing that certain things are true but actually then trusting God on the basis that those things are true so you know David could say oh yes I believe uh, that Campbell is going to catch me when I fall back but until he actually does it we don't know that that's really trust 
personal trust. But faith is personal trust. So faith is not just intellectual, believing that certain things are true. It's relational and personal. It's trusting God personally um, with your life, with your future, uh, that you'll be forgiven and accepted, that you have hope for the future, even in the face of death, with God who can raise the dead. And the third thing that James says is that real faith uh, leads to action. It's not just that it's some use, but it leads to real action in our lives. And look, he's losing a bit of patience at this point. Listen to the way he talks about this, verse 20. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And he's got a couple of examples here from the Bible uh, of people putting their faith into action. First of all, Abraham. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. So if we go back, Abraham is, of course, the classic example of faith in the Old Testament. Um, And Paul uses Abraham's example to establish this idea that we're right with God by faith, because that's what happens in the story. In Genesis chapter 15, God appears to Abraham. He makes promises to Abraham, and it says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham believed God's promises. He trusted in God, and God looked at Abraham and said, you are righteous. You're in the right with me. It was Abraham's faith that saved him. It was Abraham's faith that made him righteous. But, James says, but then keep reading the story and see what happened. Genesis 22, God says to Abram, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac to me. It's mind-boggling that God should ask this of Abraham. It's totally freaky, right? But Abram trusts God... We've seen that. He'd already trusted God and now he puts his faith into action by taking Isaac to sacrifice him. Of course, the good news is God says, don't do it, Abraham, and provides the sacrifice, the animal in place of Abraham's beloved son. So, Abraham was justified by his faith, but then his faith led him to act in the right way to trust God and obey God. Second example that James gives is of the woman Rahab. And this is in the book of Joshua, when the people of Israel are about to come into the promised land, Joshua sends some spies into the land and they go to the city of Jericho and they stay with Rahab and Rahab hides them from the king of Jericho and, he, and she enables them to escape uh, and be able to report back to Joshua. In some, in some ways, she also is a classic example of faith. She's one of the heroes of the faith listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, she was a Canaanite, not, a, not, not one of the people of Israel. Um, so she was a foreigner. She was, she was someone who was likely to be killed when the people of Israel came into the land, but she came to believe in the Lord God. She tells the spies, I heard what God did bringing you out of Egypt and rescuing you out of Egypt, and so I now believe in the Lord and I trust in the Lord and I want to be saved when 
the city is destroyed. She's a classic example of faith. She becomes part of the people of Israel. In fact, she becomes uh, an ancestor of King David and of Jesus. She's listed in the genealogy um, in Matthew's Gospel, the genealogy of Jesus. So she's, again, a classic example of someone saved by her faith. But, James says, but notice her faith led to action. She hid the spies. She lied about them to the king. She helped them to get away. In fact, we have a photo of, uh, on the front page of the, of the handout there of Rahab doing that. There she is in act, putting her faith immediately into action by helping the spies escape. So can you see James's point? Look, yes, people may be declared righteous by faith in the first place, but then that faith leads them to acting righteously. And he says in the case of Abraham, it was like God's declaration that Abraham was righteous was then fulfilled in Abraham's righteous actions. So faith leads to action. And in this case, fairly risky and courageous, radical actions in people's lives. And this is James's final word, his summary of it in verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. If faith doesn't lead to action, then it is a kind of zombie faith. Uh, it's, a, it's a body without breath or spirit. It's not real life. It's not animated by the Spirit of God. So that at a certain point, you need to say of someone who claims to have faith but has no actions, no deeds in their life, is it real faith? Is it real faith? Is it saving faith? Um, as James says at the start, can such faith save them? If it doesn't actually lead to anything happening in a person's life, then it's doubtful that it is real faith. Uh, when I was uh, growing up, I uh, went to some schools where I grew up on the central coast of New South Wales and the culture of those schools, I think, was a culture of extreme laziness. Extreme lazy. We made an idol of idleness. Uh, we just, you know, it was really about being as lazy as possible and doing as little as possible. So, you know, the whole idea at school was to avoid as much work or as much responsibility as you could. And no one would ever dream of volunteering for anything, ever. That was for nerds, you know. No one, would do, no one in their right mind would ever volunteer or deliberately do anything they didn't have to do. And so, you know, any class you took or any course or anything at all, the, the, the ideal was that it would be a bludge. This was the language we used, that... That was a bludge, was, was a high compliment uh, about a class or, you know, a teacher, his classes, her classes, they're a bludge. Uh, that is very little work. And in fact, you know, the highest possible compliment was that it was a total bludge. It was a total bludge. That was the best thing you could say about anything at school. Now... Imagine bringing that attitude to the Christian faith. You mean 
God freely sends his son to rescue me. There's nothing I have to do. All I have to do is believe in him and trust in him. And I don't have to do anything in order to be saved. And God counts me as righteous on the basis of faith, not what I do. Christian faith is a total blutch. Yes, it's the ideal it, for, the, for, the, for the person on the central coast growing up where I went. That sounds fantastic. I don't have to do anything. How brilliant is that? A total bludge. But James says, no, that, that is a misunderstanding. The faith that accepts what God has freely done for us leads to real change and real action in our lives. In fact, it animates us, it energises us to respond to God's mercy by becoming useful in the world. We become useful to God and useful to the world through faith. So how do we apply this? Well, first of all, I think it would be really good for us to just have a a faith check, uh, a pulse check to see if the body of our faith has breath, has spirit. Uh, Is our faith really alive? And it's just good to ask ourselves now, Mary Creek, what good is our faith? What good is our faith? Is our faith making a difference in the world? What gain or benefit is there for others from the fact that we believe in Jesus? And so collectively we can ask that of ourselves. Because churches as a whole can become zombie churches as well. They can become no use. Um, that actually the people sort of almost conspire together to not be any use, to not put faith into action. But of course, we need to ask this of ourselves individually as well. Is there evidence of a living faith in our lives? What actions or what deeds can we point to that suggest that our faith is alive? Or is it just talk? Uh, The examples that James gives are unrepeatable. So we can't do the things that he, the examples that he gives. This is actually good. So uh, the chances that you'll be, you'll be, have a chance to exercise your faith by hiding a spy in your house are fairly remote. And the chances that God is going to ask you to offer up one of your children to him as a sacrifice are nil. The whole point of the story is God is not going to ask that of us. Uh, He is going to provide his own son for our sake. So you need to think about, okay, well, how is my faith going to come out in actions? Because there are a million things, more than a million things. There are an infinite number of ways that we can be useful to God in our lives. Um, But it's up to us to find them and show the initiative to do them. Uh, But it will come out in the things that you put your energy into, the things that you give your money to, the things that you pray about, the way you do your work, the way you live at home. All of these offer opportunities for your faith to be some use to others. This is a really good time for us to think about this now, coming out of lockdown. I'm not sure you know, what it's been like for you, but I found my world has shrunk down, you know, to pretty much to just the, the walls of the house and to the six group of six that, you know, live together in our house and does not extend out much beyond that. Uh, you know, only present in the world through Zoom or phone calls or whatever it might be. And now, coming out of that, 
chance to you know, rethink my life, rethink our lives, how will faith come into action and what use will I be to others as we emerge from lockdown? It's also a good time for us to think about this as we plan to become two congregations in the next few months. How will my faith be put into action as we try to do that? It's going to be a big challenge. It's going to be an exciting time. But, you know, really what it requires is every one of us who trusts in Jesus putting our faith into action so that that can happen, so that two congregations can flourish into the future. If you're here with us today and you're not a Christian, I think one way of uh, applying this is to... It's just hopefully it helps you to realise that what would be involved if you come to faith in Jesus, if you're checking out the Christian faith, will help you to understand that becoming a Christian would not just be about changing your thinking, would not just be about um, changing your view of things. It would actually be about putting your trust in God in a way that's going to lead to change in your life, going to lead to real action in your life. And so I think it's good to, to realise that, to understand that that's, what in, in, that's what's involved in becoming a Christian believer, a faith that leads to you uh, doing good in the world. I think it's also helpful if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, uh, but you're put off by the fact that you know Christians and that their faith doesn't seem to make any difference in their life. That could be fairly off-putting, like why should I become a Christian if it doesn't make any difference. Well, hopefully that you can see from what James says here that actually there are people like that in the world and there have been for a long time and in fact there always will be. People who say that they're followers of Jesus but their faith is not a living faith. And so it's not it's if if you know no Christian, you know, at all that their faith makes a difference to their life, that would be a worrying thing. But if you know some that are like that, I think that just need to understand that that's normal. And for those of you who are believers and Christians, it's important that we not be put off by that fact. That Jesus himself taught that this was going to be the case, that there are people who are going to say to him, Lord, Lord, who are actually not truly believers. But that we not be put off by their lack of deeds, but in fact that we press on in faith, to make sure that our faith is real. Don't be put off by them. And finally, I think that we should pray, that we want to pray that God would, by the power of his spirit, make our faith lead to real action and real change in our lives, that it wouldn't just be talk, that it wouldn't just be belief, but that it would be some good. Just say to God, thank you so much for your grace and mercy, which is saved me and made me righteous now help me please to live that righteous life so why don't we do that now let's pray our heavenly father thank you for your wonderful grace and mercy in the lord jesus christ and we thank you so much for reaching into our lives we thank you so much for bringing us to know you we thank you so much uh, for forgiving us we thank you so much for showing us a new way to live. And we pray that in your mercy, as your spirit works in us, that our faith would lead to real action. That our faith would lead to 
courageous and even risky action in this world for your sake. And that in your mercy we might be some use in this world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.